Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are continuing our journey through the Gospels. This is Gospels Part 81. Last week we saw where the scribes and Pharisees were asking Jesus for a sign from him and kind of out of exasperation for from everything that he had done up until this point, he responded by saying that this you know, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but the only sign that's going to be given to you is the sign of Jonah. And we looked at this multi-shadow picture of how Jesus could be referring to both his death and resurrection, because he talked about the three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish and the Son of Man being in the heart of the earth. Um, And then we also talked about the sign of Jonah being about the repentance, the call to repentance for the chosen people Israel. And he mentioned about yeah. the, the people of Nineveh rising up and condemning that current generation because they were given an opportunity to repent, and they did, and they weren't even, like, they were pagan people. They didn't even know God. So uh, Jesus is stressing, like, your all's fate is going to be way worse than Nineveh because you know who I am and you know who my father is, and yet you're still not repenting. So... It's a really convicting picture. It's really good. Yeah, I, man, and and you know you're right. Uh, the emph- I mean, it's not that we should ignore the part where there's you know like the relationship with the three days and that kind of stuff. But man, sure seems like the heavy emphasis was on the repentance. So good. All right. Well, uh, let's keep going. Uh, it's kind of interesting that where we're headed. I don't know. There will be times when maybe it feels like things are really well connected and other times maybe not as much, but still all good stuff. So let's just get on it. The first part we're going to begin here with Luke chapter 11 verses 27 and 28 says this. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. All right. So, I mean, it's easy. I'm sure you've got this picture in your head. Some woman, she's yelling out the modern day equivalent of, Your mom's a lucky woman. (laughs) Uh, To which... You know, you might expect something like, oh, you're very kind. I'll pass on your regards. <laughs> but nope, <laughs> that's not what he does. Now, to be, I don't think Jesus is in any way trying to be unkind or unfriendly or anything like that. But, you know, he it's like he's laser focused. He's all about getting at the real truth. In, in this moment, right? And so he he wants people to get it. And before we talk about what it is that he said, and w- w- let's just take a second. Samuel, I'd like for you to read just a portion of Luke chapter 1, verse 48. 
For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And do you happen to recall who was speaking at that moment? Oh, no. Uh, Was it Mary? Yeah, Mary, the mother of Jesus. So here's this woman yelling out, blessed is the, right? And and Mary is kind of sort of predicting it, if you will, prophesying, whatever you want to say. And so, I mean, this, it like it fits into the story, but Jesus, it's kind of like what he wants to do, and this also fits with the story. He wants to point out that it isn't, circumstance. It isn't status. It isn't position. It isn't any of those things that make you blessed. We might, you know, okay, we might look from the outside. It might look that way from the outside, but I don't know. You might think that you're seeing, you know, somebody's just lucky or God's picking favorites or something, but that's not what it's about. True blessing and That's funny, Samuel. I think we talked about this last night. True blessing is within the reach of all. The mother of the Messiah is no more blessed than you, or, you know, isn't necessarily any more blessed than you. And and how can that be? Well, if you hear the word of God and keep it. I mean, that is where the true blessing is. And so we're all like, it's an even playing field. So Jesus has a very consistent message. And again, because we read in Luke and we went back to an earlier spot in Luke, we're going to do it again, Samuel. How about you read Luke chapter eight, verse 21. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Yeah. I mean, it's almost the exact same words. And so it isn't about who you are. Again, what what did we say? It's not circumstance or status or position. Real blessing awaits us all, and it's available equally to us all, and it's for all of those who hear the word and keep it. So there's only one true path. There's only one true blessedness. I mean, first, you got to hear, you know, listen, obey God's word. And, 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 okay, when we say God's word, Samuel, you and I are being a little more specific. What are we talking about? Talking about his divine revelation to humanity, like Torah itself. Yeah. Yeah. All of scripture is awesome, but there is one little portion of scripture upon which all the other scriptures rest, if you will, and that's Torah. Okay. So you got to hear, you got to listen, you got to obey. And you you have to keep it. And, and I guess I'm thinking along the lines of guard it and protect it. And so you put those two things together. If, if you are actually making God's revealed will, his expressed will, the key to life for you, well, surprisingly or not surprisingly, it will be the key to life for you. You set forth, you set your mind, and and that is, you're going to get what you're searching for if you're sincerely seeking. And that's where the true blessing is. And when we say blessing, Sammy, do you remember when we started out the Sermon on the Mount, we went through the Beatitudes? 
Mm-hmm. And, and how do all the Beatitudes start? Blessed are the meek, or blessed are those who mourn. Yeah, yeah. It was that word, ashray. And it's, it's happiness. It's good fortune. And that's the word that's used here. The woman, in a sense, is offering a beatitude, and Jesus offers one back. And it's kind of a cool picture. But again, I don't think he's, you know, trying to like push back or, you know, say she's wrong. He's just going, you know what? As true as what you're saying may be, there's it, there's something even better than that. So anyway, there you go. Mm-hmm. That's good. I'm getting a picture from David and the Psalms. I think it's in Psalm 27, verse 10. Um, in that particular verse, he says, like, even if my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will receive me. But you could also think about the inverse of that with saying, like, even if you had parents who were loving and, you know, were present in your life and you were gifted with that relationship, like, that still doesn't make you any more special or seen by God than someone who didn't have those figures in their life. So, I I, I don't know, right. it's kind of a play on that to show that the status part that you were talking about, whether someone's in your life or not in your life, doesn't define who you are ultimately. Yeah, and and what you're saying is 100% true, and and it goes, I mean, just to every area of life. Whatever your circumstance is, you have the same opportunity before you. It's a, it's a good, it's good and important picture. All right, well, let's keep going. We're going to, I guess, maybe skip around a little bit. We'll see. We, we've been doing that already with Luke. Chapter 11, verses 33 to 36 says this. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. All right, so you can see a continuing thread here. I mean, Jesus is kind of continuing the thought. Not only is there one path to being blessed or blessedness, but we must remain singularly focused upon it. Now, I'm guessing as we read that, there's probably a whole lot of this that seems like things we've heard before. Uh, I know that we covered some of it back in the Sermon on the Mount, maybe in some other places, but we've talked about light versus darkness. We've talked about lighting lamps and hiding them versus displaying them. We've talked about the good eye, which was like generosity and hospitality, etc., uh, versus the bad eye, which was like stinginess and greed, etc. But here, I don't know, Luke, 
I don't know if it's because he sees it differently or I, I'm not sure. He, it appears he's trying to paint a different image or a unique image. So he starts with the part that's all, it's always easy for us to identify, right? When you light a lamp, you don't hide it. You display it prominently so that others can, you know, reap the benefit, whatever. We get that. Everybody gets that image. Lamps, lights. But notice, this is all occurring outside of you. We're, we're talking about things in an external view. But what Luke's doing, he's got Jesus turning this to more like your insides or the inner you. And just, just as we must place a lamp in a prominent place to get the best effect, our eye must be placed upon or look upon the true light. And I mean, you can plug in things there. Maybe it's Jesus, or you might say the word of God, or you might say, you know, like, even the scripture, the Torah, that kind of stuff. Everything else, and, you know, even if this isn't literal, it's definitely comparatively, but I, I would say even literally, everything else is darkness. If we fix our gaze on the right thing, number one, we're going to see clearly, so that's important, and our eye you know, because the way Luke is explaining it here, our eye is like a window, then number two, our whole body will be filled with that light. And, you know, I mean, Jesus says it, it's not like it's super hard to see and understand, but Jesus, he even adds this extra warning, be careful. This thing, maybe you hear what I'm saying, maybe you understand what I'm saying, but guess what? It takes focus, attention, intention. You've got to get that light in you. And again, it's the word of God, which we know manifests Torah, Jesus, etc. Yeah, that's good. Um, I did want to ask, you know how... I think we brought it up previously in this podcast with the Jewish thought and language how let's say when a particular speaker says you know let's just say trust in the Lord with all of your heart and in Jewish thought that was more like your will your intent uh, your convictions that kind of thing in this particular scenario when Jesus is referencing the I is there some Jewish thought that he's referring to here other than literal like sight uh well actually in this spot i'm gonna lean toward no now we know in judaism generally that the eye there was something very idiomatic about it and and i mentioned it briefly that idea of hey when you've got a good eye that that's talking about being gener generous. It's it's generosity and hospitality, those kind of things. And a bad eye is the guy who's being stingy or whatever. That would be the common idiom, but I don't know that that applies so much in this case. And again, I don't know if Jesus is just telling the story differently at this point, or if this is just Mark's unique way of telling the story that Jesus was. I, I'm not sure, but I would say here. I think when he's talking about the eye, you know, there 
Well, I guess there was one other thing that I've read about, and I uh, hold this loosely because I don't know how much weight to give this. But, you know, it's reasonable to, to, to know that all across human history, we've had very, very different views of how our bodies work and different parts of the body and, you know, how we get sick or not sick and all those different things. In this time period, I have read that there was sort of a, a, a competing view of how this all works. Some actually had this idea that our eyes, in fact, emitted some sort of, I don't know, light or ray or something. It was more like something was coming out of our eyes, and that's what enabled us to see. Whereas others understood it as, you know, things entering through the eye. Now, again, hold, I I don't know. I don't know. I didn't pay much attention to it. I don't, I just don't know how much I cared about it at the time. But Jesus, let's say that there is this sort of, you know, dispute or uh, differing, differing ideas. He's, uh, the way Mark or Luke is telling the story, he's coming down on the side of, hey, you know, things enter through the eye, right? Uh, So there is that in play here. But no, I I don't know. I, I, I don't think so, Samuel. Gotcha. I was just curious. Yeah, good question. All right, uh, where are we headed? Well, we're keep going in Luke. He's popular today. <laughs> uh, we're still in chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 37 whoo, through 54. Wow. What's important, though, and, and this, is, this is kind of a big deal. There is a section in the middle here. It's verses 42 through 52. I'm not even going to read them. I'm going to skip right over them as if they don't exist for two reasons. It actually kind of seems like going from verse 41 to 53, there really is a connection there. They kind of fit together. And also, verses 42 through 52 match with something that we're going to see in Matthew, and that's going to get sequenced much later. And so we're going to cover it then. Maybe you think I'm right or wrong to do so, but whatever, I'm going with it. I mean, all this chronological stuff, we have to make decisions, and so that's what we decided to do here. So it still is quite a few verses, but it's really 37 to 41, and then 53 and 54. So here we go. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now, you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Again, I'm skipping to verse 53. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, 
lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. All right. So, you know, it all seems cordial until it's not. (laughs) Jesus just, he hit him hard on this one. So, uh, and now initially, Again, I don't know, you may kind of think this feels like a change of the story or a change of topic, change of scene, whatever, but I think that there's still definitely a connecting thread that's kind of running through all this stuff. So we start with Jesus, and he's being invited to dinner by, okay, it appears to be a single Pharisee. Uh, As we continue reading, I don't know, seems like there may have been more there, whatever. But this is yet another example of the fact that the Pharisees And we don't know how many. It's definitely some. Could it have been many? Uh, We don't know. But many of the, I'm sorry, at least some (laughs) of the Pharisees considered him to be or wanted him to be a part of their sect. And and Jesus' teaching, it's a remarkably good fit with the Pharisaic Judaism of his day. We've said that before. A much better fit than with any other sect. But, and you know what? I feel like I need to do one of those special public service announcements. Attention, moms, you may not want your kids to hear this next part. (laughs) So you got this lone Pharisee, and he gets tripped up by the fact that Jesus didn't wash his hands before dinner. (laughs) Right? (laughs) All right, I'm kidding a little bit, Mom. Sorry. What we're talking about here isn't hygienic washing, right? He's not soap and water and trying to make sure he doesn't get sick. You know, this is ritual washing. It's not to say it might may not have had some minimal hygienic effect or whatever, but but that's just not what we're talking about. It's ritual washing. And here's another thing. I feel like we've talked about this before. It isn't required in Torah. It's simply something that had become tradition, Pharisaic tradition. Now, here's an interesting thing. The underlying Greek word is baptizo. And I'm sure you can hear, that's a lot like our word baptism. And so uh, in Jesus's day, especially, there was no question about whether this meant you know, sprinkling or dunking or this, or that. it only meant immersion. That was the only thing they knew and understood. And so scholars argue, maybe they're talking about an immersion of the hands. That's very reasonable. Could have been just that. But it also could have been immersion of even the whole body in a mikvah. Now, that, at least from anything I've read about, all these different things, that seemed like it was extremely rare. There were some real fanatics who who they actually immersed in a mikvah even before eating, but that wasn't the norm. So I kind of doubt that's what's going on here. It's probably just immersing the hands, okay? Just to, uh, whatever, get that out there. Whatever's really meant here, the point is that this Pharisee guy, he was bothered. And, you know, we also kind of get our hint that Jesus may not be alone with this Pharisee, but whatever, we're not sure. There may have been other Pharisees there. Either way, we can guess if there were, they were also bothered by this lack of washing. But anyway, Jesus addresses it. He says uh, he wants this Pharisee, and 
if there were others, others to, he wants them to understand that their focus is off. And then he paints this very practical picture, at least he starts to, he kind of switches in the middle of his story. Just as washing only the outside of a cup or a dish, I mean, just imagine that in real life, that would be hair growing gross, if you know what I'm saying. Ew. In the same way, only keeping Torah in an external way or in a, in a visible sense is equally hair-growing gross. It's, I mean, we should just say, ew. Now, it's interesting that he talks about this because one of the big controversies back, you know, in and around this day, we've talked about these two guys, Shammai and Hillel. Hillel. They, they always had these differing opinions about things. Now, in this particular case, Shammai would say that, you know what? The inside may be clean while the outside remains unclean, or vice versa. He would say that. Hillel said, nope, if any part is unclean, then it's all unclean, and vice versa. Not that that matters a lot, but just so you know, Jesus is talking about things, he's bringing up these topics, and they're things that were common and popular in his day. So it's not just random. He's not just sitting around thinking, gee, what example could I use? How about a dish and a cup? No, these were. this was something that really would have piqued their interest. So the Pharisees, just to get back to like the, the story, the practical story, the Pharisees were known for like this this exacting adherence to the law. You know, they were, they were scrupulous about all these little rules. And at the same time, there were those, we shouldn't say all, but there were those who were filled with greed and wickedness. And so we, on the outside, it's easier for us to see, we can say that the Torah was not having its intended effect in their lives. And, you know, that helps you to know then that God cares about what's going on inside them as much as what's going on outside them. God's will is for both to be clean, the inside and the outside. And so, how do you clean the inside? Well, Jesus says, by giving as alms the things that are within you. And, and that means the things that are within your power. You can, as Micah would say, you can do justice. You can love mercy. You can be charitable. You can be good. You can not be greedy, not be wicked. Now, this may, the, the fact that he calls them greedy and wicked, may suggest that the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees, something had gained unrighteously and that they were literally to give back that gain. Maybe, maybe not. Some some people believe that, oh yeah, that's obviously there and others are like, nope, don't see it. The point is the Pharisees, they're seeking external ritual purity through this washing. Jesus' point is, you could have true ritual purity, and actually, more correctly, they could have true purity 
if they would only focus instead on cleaning the inside. And like when Jesus says, everything is clean for you, he's not making some theological statement and changing their entire world that, yeah, you can eat whatever you want and touch whatever you want. He's not saying that. Everything is clean for you, meaning you are totally clean because you're clean inside and out. Everything is then clean for you. There's not some part of you that's dirty and hairy, gross. So anyway, notice Luke or Jesus, continuing with the same thing, theme, there's this, there's this true blessedness or true enlightenment. There's true charity, etc. It has to be within, come from within. There is an external component, and it's important. We must speak and do according to God's will, not our own. We've harped on that a lot in this podcast, but it can't be keeping rules for rule's sake. We have to be pursuing the true essence of the rules. What are the rules actually showing us? It's justice, it's charity, it's mercy, etc. And we've harped on that a lot in this podcast too. Jesus is in no way setting aside the laws of ritual clean or or uncleanness. He's not doing any of that. He's just helping them see properly, giving them proper perspective. And again, just quick mention, I know we skipped like 10 or 11 verses in there. Uh, the seven woes is how they're usually titled uh, in people's Bibles. We're saving them for later, but the point is Jesus really lets them have it. And and he's going after both scribes and Pharisees. And this adds to the idea that, you know, maybe it wasn't just Jesus and this single Pharisee alone at the dinner. He may have invited him and then invited others, whatever. But after all is said and done, they are seriously provoked. They're looking for anything he might say, anything they might trick him into saying, anything to discredit him as a teacher or a prophet or a messiah. And what's really important about that is if they're looking that hard and trying that hard, does that not actually lend credence to the fact that he has in fact been sinless and has in fact been a perfect keeper of Torah? I just think that's so great. But anyway, we see that Jesus has, again, highlighted the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And what is that hypocrisy? The the hypocrisy is in that they're putting on a show. Man, this section is super convicting to me personally, uh, thinking about getting at the heart, the intent behind why I do things spiritually related in my faith journey yeah, externally that people can see versus internally, like what's going on with my mind and emotions and the the truer intent behind those things. And it, it makes me wonder, like I definitely see that Jesus is using this as a call to like exhortation, like this is what you should be striving for or towards. It's, this is what your end goal should look like. Um, but is there a sense that that struggle between the cleanliness of the inner versus outer self 
like we won't be able to fully see that until at the end of all things in the resurrection and world to come because like I read that and like of course I see his call and like I have a desire and a conviction like yeah I want to do that but then at the same time it's like man I kind of like there's so many times where (laughs) it just seems like I really stink at that too so like what gives here I I don't know like I, I guess I'm hoping that Jesus God whatever leaves room to to see that maybe like it's not going to be realized fully until the end of the story. Yeah, I mean basically what you're doing here Samuel is coming out of the closet telling everyone you are in fact a normal average human. <laughs> right? Everybody is in the same boat. And yeah, of course, we're not going to be able to really live in the fullness of this until we have been resurrected. We've got our new bodies, we've got the Torah written on our mind and heart, the whole deal. But that does not in any way diminish the fact that that should be our aim and our goal, our focus, our intent. Because, I mean, what's the, you've heard people say this all the time, if you're not aiming at the target, you're never going to hit it. Mm-hmm. You you've got to try, and so just like we've talked about all throughout the scriptures, God has has Himself called people righteous, and yet we know that. Well, but I mean, their stories they they sinned, they messed up. What's going on with that? Well, righteousness isn't black and white. I mean, it is in Jesus's case; He was perfectly righteous, but for the rest of us. It's like a, it's that whole thing of God really being able to see within you, to really know you. And some people attain this, this level, this, this label of righteous, even though they're not perfect. Well, in the same way, we have to go after this, go after this stuff with everything that's in us. It, it, what God really, really wants to see in us is the loyalty, the faithfulness, the the intent, even if you will, right? I mean, you've heard that phrase, the the what is it, the road to hell is paved with good intentions or something mm-hmm. like that. Okay. And I I I don't disagree with that as a saying, but you know what? Your intent it really does play a role in this. And so, yeah. Again, it's uh, we've talked about this before too. It's the difference between conviction and condemnation. When we mess up, it's good to feel conviction, to motivate us to just, you know, continue to to go for the goal. But we shouldn't feel condemnation like, oh, I've ruined it. God hates me. I'm never going to pull this off. I may as well just give up and take my ticket to hell, you know, that, no, no, it's got to be about conviction. So anyway, yeah, Samuel, I think you're, you're, you're putting words to probably what most everybody who would be listening to the podcast or not listening to the podcast would naturally feel when they read this. You know me, I'm a man of the people. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That is right. All right. Well, Mr. Man of the People, shall we do some more? <laughs> Let's. Let's. All right. So here's the thing. There's a big section here 
And man, I feel like I'm just kind of, I'm ripping Luke to shreds here. And I don't mean to be, but I'm going to, I'm going to actually chalk this up as, you know, kind of like a Paul mistake. And at the same time, not totally my fault. Cause again, I'm, I'm trying to follow what these other examples of the chronological sequencing are saying. And this is one that I really think had I, had I tried harder, I would have done this one differently. And here's what I mean. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, just to kind of get it out there and in our ears kind of thing. But we really should have covered this back when we were doing Matthew chapter 10. And so it's okay. I'm not going to worry too much about it. What I'm going to do is read it, and then we'll do a quick recap of everything that was in it, just as a way of reminder where you go back and listen or whatever. But nonetheless, let's just do this thing. I didn't want, we're trying so hard. When we get to the end of this, if we find out that we've somehow missed a verse, we're going to be so devastated because we've tried really hard to make sure we miss nothing. But anyway, here we go. I'm going to read this. Luke 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour, what you ought to say. So I know that was really long, and I'm guessing there were probably many points along the way that you were listening and you're going, man, that sounds familiar. And it's because this whole section, it's it's like a hodgepodge of things we've already covered. And so I'm going to point back to where they were covered, give kind of a brief overview. Um, so here we go. Uh, Luke verse uh, chapter 12, verse 1. 
First of all, we covered this when we were doing episode The Gospels, number 61. I think at the time we were looking at Matthew uh, 16, 5 through 12. So that was a little outside the box. But this was about the leaven of the Pharisees. And in that case, it was about their teaching and their example. And here Luke is more specific about their hypocrisy. And in this particular setting, uh, it's a little different. It's set in in throngs of thousands. It's, it's, it's so slightly different setting. But then Luke chapter 12, verses 2 through 9, this relates back to Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 33. And this was in the episode, The Gospels, number 52. And we talked about things like uh, many of the teachings of the day were kept secret. They were saved for the mature disciple. You kind of had to earn your way into even hearing and knowing about this stuff. Well, Jesus wants his teachings to be proclaimed from the rooftops. And this also included this this, uh, idea of, you know what? You got to make sure that you do not fear man and what man can do to you. At worst, I mean, he can only kill you. (laughs) I know. It sounds bad, right? But uh, we're talking about, in this case, we could uh, limit that down to, that's just your body and soul, your nephesh. They're going to cease to be. But you know what? Your spirit, your neshama lives on. And so there's, there's not as much to fear from man killing you. But you do need to fear God because he can also throw your body, soul, and spirit into Gehenna. Remember he said hell? That's Gehenna. Mm -hmm. And he has the ability to destroy you completely. Every single part of you. You simply cease to be. So that was a big deal. You're of far greater value than even a sparrow. And so don't get down just because God can destroy you. He really wants, you know, Uh, you to succeed, you're of far greater value, Uh, but God cares even for that little sparrow. And if he cares that much for the sparrow, how much more does he care for you? So we talked about that before. And the last idea, if we talk, I'm sorry, if we acknowledge him, Jesus, before men, he, or, or angels, he will acknowledge us before God. It's a big deal. But here was the, I mean, I mean that, that's good. But we also got to remember, if we don't do that, he also won't do that. So that was kind of a big warning, big thing. Uh, let's see, Luke chapter 10, verse 12. We covered that one in an episode, the Gospels number 79. This talked about the unforgivable sin. That was pretty recent. Uh, attributing the works of the Holy Spirit to Satan. If you are really concerned about that, number one, let me say, I'm not the judge. That's all reserved for God. But I I feel like you, you probably haven't done it, don't have too much to worry about. But hey, go back and listen to that episode, see what you think. And then finally, uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, we covered this back in Matthew uh, chapter 10, verses 17 through 19. Again, this was covered in the Gospels, number 52, and this was basically that idea that 
hey, you, you need to have your everyday gospel message ready. So you, 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 you're never at a loss for words. You know what you're going to say. But if you were to get into an unfamiliar situation, maybe even something like a legal proceeding or you're before, I don't know, quote unquote, big, important people, you know, that kind of stuff. You know what? Don't fret. The Holy Spirit is going to help you with the words. He's going to help you find the words. As long as you have your your normal good message ready and and willing and you know you're you're spreading it at every opportunity when you get in these strange unfamiliar situations god the holy spirit's going to help you even more so anyway that whole big section covered a lot of stuff but we spent way more time on it in these other episodes so you can go back and listen to that if you want yeah just a quick clarification that um point of the unforgivable sin that you referenced in gospel 79 that's Luke chapter 12, verse 10. I think, Paul, you got your numbers backwards in the moment, and you said Luke 10, verse 12. Oh, did I? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Lysdexics of the world, untie! <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, I probably did. I do stuff like that. So yeah, that's good. So a- any comments or questions in there, Samuel? I mean, it's all road that we've traveled. Yep. Okay, all right. So we're moving on. This may be one part of the episode that people may want to fast forward through. Sorry about that. But we had to cover it. It's a rule. It's a law. So going on, Luke chapter 12, uh, we're going to look at verses 13 through 15. And now we're on to now with new original stuff. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. All right. It's good practical stuff, right? So, I don't know. For me, this is kind of like the woman who yelled out, blessed is the womb that bore you, right? This was just earlier in the episode, Luke, 1, uh, Luke 11, 27. Some guy yells out, but this one's pretty different. He's, uh, he's not, you know, just doing an ashtray, blessed be. He's not doing any of that stuff. He's kind of asking Jesus to settle a personal family dispute over inheritance. And I don't know. I can't imagine that that's going to end well, but here we go. The earlier woman, you know, like when she was talking, her statement was good. And and Jesus, he still took the opportunity to point to something better. You know, that idea that the real blessed ones are those that hear and keep God's word. But this guy, I don't know, this just seems kind of self-serving, kind of petty, if you see what I mean. But Just to kind of paint the practical picture, what this guy may be trying to do is avoid the normal legal route. He doesn't want to have to try to go before uh, legal Torah stuff to try to get this worked out. Now, you might think that Jesus was 
you know, I mean, if this woman said something nice and he he felt like he had to say something to her, you might think that Jesus is going to hit this guy pretty hard with some truth. But I don't know. It doesn't seem too awful bad. At least it's not like super direct or anything. Uh, Jesus, it, it is interesting though. And, and you never know. Maybe when the guy hears it, if if he gets what Jesus is doing, it may have hit him a lot harder than we think. So Jesus uses some words that link back to a story that's about Moses. And Samuel, I'm going to have you read a long bit. This comes back from Exodus chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. He looked this way and that and seen no one. He struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. Yeah, I just wanted to like give you the the bigger, fuller picture of what was going on back there. Uh, Moses had, you know, he was out hanging with his peoples, kills an Egyptian, all this. It's a big deal. But right there in the middle, this guy, this uh, Israelite, kind of accuses. He, he really gets to Moses by saying, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Now, in Moses's case, here's this Israelite, and he didn't want anyone stepping in as a judge over them. And that's really interesting because in this case, Jesus He's kind of making a reference back to that by saying, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Same kind of language. But this guy, he does want Jesus to be a judge over him or them, but it's for the sake of personal gain. And I think, I think in this, Jesus is easily recognizing the insincerity. Moses, Moses had already gotten himself in a tough spot. How? By meddling in personal affairs. And here's Jesus. Okay, he's not about to do that. He's avoiding it. Besides, Jesus' kingdom, it's not really about this world. It's not yet of this world. Maybe we could say it that way. It wasn't about personal petty conflicts. So in all of this, there's this weird life lesson. Number one, we really should seek to be peacemakers. And that is a good thing. It's even, it's even talked about back in the Torah. Uh, Jesus talks about it in other places in the, in the Gospels. It's a good thing. But we need to recognize the inherent danger in getting involved in people's personal stuff. And, and we need to act wisely. If there is a way that we can bring peace by all means, pull out all the stops, do what you can, but know that you could actually make it worse and you could get your own self in trouble and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So I don't know. It's a great picture. It's a great picture. But it was kind of interesting also that Jesus, you know, he addresses the guy directly and then he turns around and speaks to the whole crowd and he calls out what was really going on. So Again, it's not direct, it's kind of indirect, but it is, it's kind of a hard shot. He's calling out covetousness. This guy wants 
more stuff, more possessions. And so Jesus's warning to everyone is, you know what? You need to be careful with your life. You need to be on guard against covetousness. You won't find your real life, your real joy, your real meaning, your real fulfillment. You're not going to find any of that in possessions. It's just a trick. It's a sham. It's a con. So don't fall for it. And then he's going to drive this point home with a parable, which we're probably not going to read today. (laughs) That'll be next time. Scratch another tick mark off on our recurring cliffhanger thing. That's right. That's right. No, this is, I feel like I have such little to say this week after all these sections of text, just because Jesus is dropping bomb after bomb that's just really convicting and making me think and wrestle and very applicable to our lives, my life, whatever. Um, So I hope that you all are being as introspective as I am right now with it all because it's it's challenging. Yeah, it's kind of neat. We've hit, you know, a, a section here where, man, this is really practical. This applies to our lives so much. And that's good. I mean, just the fact that you're seeing it, hearing it, feeling it, I think it's great, Samuel. And we don't have to say anything more. We can just let the text speak for itself. Yeah, yeah. Let it have its result in us. You know, that that's a good thing. So, As that old hymn uh, says, have thine old way, Lord. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no way. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, we can look at those hymns and it's like, oh, it doesn't sound like good today's music or whatever. But, you know, every once in a while, there's some really good words back there. And every mm-hmm. once in a while, there's some that are not. <laughs> yeah. We got to be honest. <laughs> but, yeah, this is good. Yeah, let's do it, Samuel. Let's let these words just change the world because that's what they're meant for. I think we done. Okie dokie. Thanks for listening to the Okie Dokie Most podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. Find out more information about our podcast at www.okidokimos.com. Please send us your comments or questions at our email address, okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Talk to you all soon.